0: Oh, Oh, what is that smell?
1: Mars deputy took his car, killed that man on the highway, swapped for his car, now here it is, and he swapped again for God knows what.
0: That's very linear, Sheriff. So does this. Oh, let me look while we turn on here. What okay. Episode, what, yeah, what episode is it? All right, let me see. I'm I'm just looking at the computer right now at my thing. I think we're at 170. 170. Yeah. All right. That's insane. Well, what did you think of that today, just to keep up with it, or
1: I, I just yeah, I'm just trying to keep up with it.
0: All right. I'm glad so, somebody is.
1: So episode <laughs> it, 170, counting yeah. in five, yeah. four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. My name's Eugene, and I'm your agent in Toronto.
0: Thanks, Eugene, and I'm Candy, your agent in Chicago. And thank you for listening. We really love to know you're out there. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. Uh Yeah. We're just coming off a long weekend up here. As you know, it's Thanksgiving in Canada. That's
0: right. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or Happy Um, Indigenous Day. Indigenous People's Day, maybe.
1: Well, maybe, and maybe it should be Indigenous People's Day. But you know, I was um, I was looking into our, the history of Thanksgiving because I had this memory that yeah. Sheila Sheila and I had a, a small Thanksgiving dinner for the two of us. Right. Nice. And this I had this kind of memory flash in my little brain yeah. um, from grade school. Yeah. And in grade school at Green Meadows Public School in Etobicoke, um, they taught us about Thanksgiving. And they had one of those um, film strips. Do you remember film strips? Yes. Right? So they had a film strip, and it was all about how the pilgrims landed in Plymouth Rock. Oh. And even then, as like a six or seven-year-old kid, I thought, this is bogus. This isn't yeah. our Thanksgiving.
0: What's our Thanksgiving tradition? Right, I I remember thinking the same thing. I was kind of surprised that it was a different. I remember realizing it's a different date and everything too. Yeah.
1: yeah, but the here's the deal. First of all, there's there's good things about our our Thanksgiving. It's I like that it's it's a lower key kind of harvest festival. Yeah. Um, it's not all about um, uh, whacking your neighbor whacking your neighbor upside the head at, at Walmart to get at the new electronic toaster, right? Right. Uh, right for Black Friday. And it's not about like 50 watching 50 football games. Um, it's kind of a much more low-key sort of not much marketing around it. And I kind of like that. Yeah. But I I thought. I, I kind of want to find out. Why is it here now I'm in my early 60s and I still don't really understand our tradition. All right. I know is that, is that crazy Mayflower story. Right. So I uh, I got on the Google machine and I started looking at it. And here's basically what I've been able to find out. Okay. Some people think that the origin of Canadian Thanksgiving may have been with Martin Frobisher, who was trying to find the Northwest Passage in 1579. Uh-huh. And while trapped in the ice, he and his dozen boats, however many boats, I know, 11 or 12, um, had a great big feast uh, year to, was that? To, to celebrate, I guess, still being alive, um, yeah. as well as a communion and divine mystery, which I guess many of them were going to encounter. Um, yes. So I mean if that were the case, if that is the origin, then I think we need a Thanksgiving song, which is clearly the Northwest Passage by Stan Rogers. Dan Rogers it should yeah. be the official Thanksgiving song right. of Canada, right right But that may not be the origin right. Um, I was looking to see if I could find uh, a First Nations origin yes. uh, of some variety. but of course, the way the way white people have looked at it is, um as their thanksgiving so um that's right. probably never never going to come up in that history right. um, except in 1604 Samuel de Champlain had feasts with his first nation's neighbors in which they shared food and stuff right now I don't know if that was well he was like uh I don't know robbing them of their land or or what I I you know I I'm not right up on the history there but that's another possible Uh, source of our Canadian Thanksgiving that uh, at least acknowledges our First Nations people. Yeah. Um, And then the next reference I could find wasn't until 1957. Yeah. When the Governor General of Canada at that time, Vincent Massey. So for our American friends, that's the Queen's representative, the Queen being or now the King, the Uh uh, Queen or King of Canada, um, issued a proclamation that Thanksgiving will be uh, will be so, and it will be a national holiday, and it will be on the second Monday of every October. Mm-hmm. So that really has nothing about the history, has nothing about what we're celebrating. Um, there's a lot of Catholicism wrapped up in the history, clearly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I still don't really, I still don't really know, but I think in a in a time where we're now discussing truth and reconciliation i think it would be a really good time to find a way to recognize our first nations history in our thanksgiving i yeah. just don't know how to do it
0: yeah yeah i think so too i think the orange shirt day lines up with it i think um i did not put happy thanksgiving on my facebook page for the last two years where i used to do that because well, why i don't because i feel um it's unresolved i feel it's um possibly is inappropriate i don't know hmm. i just didn't want to put my foot in it and
1: i don't think because... it's inappropriate i i strongly don't think it's inappropriate yeah, yeah. To, because um whatever whatever traditions humans are gonna celebrate um that has some kind of meaning for them i i think is is just fine and i think if we give thanks around a table today for a good year or a good harvest or whatever. Um, I don't think we need to politicize that. Um, but I think instead I would I think it's really a good time to to recognize our First Nations in Thanksgiving. But I don't think it's it's a it's a good time to hate it or or right. to discount it really.
0: Well, I mean
1: I'd like to know what other people think too.
0: Yeah, I would too. I guess my feeling is that I I practice being thankful every day. It's part of my Buddhist practice or, or spiritual practice, and I do like I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite um, favorite times of year. It's you know after Halloween. It's probably tied between Thanksgiving and and uh, rebirth or Easter, and I do love those. I love all those holidays. Um, I think my feeling is that there is that idea that somehow Thanksgiving was taught. This is the other, I don't know if it's a rumor or truth or uh, an urban legend that Thanksgiving came from Indigenous peoples in Canada and United States and was taught that that came from them, that that was a practice, a harvest celebration that Indigenous peoples in North America practiced. So I don't know if that's true or not. And, and that I don't.
1: I really don't know either. If indigenous people by us. Ce- celebrated that, or if if we co-opted it, or if we just like it. Let's say they celebrated a harvest, and yeah. we celebrate a harvest. Does that mean yes. we've co-opted their? So I mean, it's it, it's a time for giving thanks. I'll, I'm just not buying into the politicization of it to that degree.
0: Right, and I would. I. W- politicizing it wouldn't be a word i would i think that's too strong a word i think it's uh just awareness um i can understand why politicizing would be a word that would be useful it's not a word i am feeling by caring about other people's feelings i don't call that political by caring about other people's history i don't well
1: it is it it is actually political it deals with i understand what you mean
0: i do understand what you mean but um i also having said that if that's what it takes you know if it takes that kind of dialogue or anything i mean i don't know i ha- i didn't think about it before we came on here today i um i like what you've looked into um i do feel that there is a difficult history political unpolitical spiritual ethical there's sure. a different different there's a difficult connection
1: yeah i and, i feel you on that and in 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 terms of all of our national holiday holidays because you know we're disappointed in our nation because Correct. our nation Thank did you. some pretty nasty things and we're, and, and we're disappointed in and it. And
0: that's exactly why I didn't put Happy Thanksgiving on last
1: year. At, at the same time, in spite of that, compared to so many nations in the world, I feel really lucky to live in Canada and really thankful to live in Canada because, well, I haven't had to go to war Um uh, we've had food on the table. We've had places to live, uh, overall in my life,
0: mm-hmm. this has
1: been a good place. And so I don't want to just throw that out the window because I'm thankful for that.
0: Right. I don't feel like I threw anything out the window. I, I love Canada. Um, I don't feel very proud of it at all, but I am very grateful to live there. I know that there, there are more difficult control systems to live in for a control system. It's a more, that's, it's a comfortable, good way of putting it. Yeah, it's a comfortable one. And I, I love so many things. I mean, I, I'm Canadian through and through for sure. Um, I wear black panties, I wear lumber jackets, I wear, I love donuts and beer. <laughs> Did you know them more? More black panties are sold in Canada than any other country. I
1: had no idea where that reference was coming from. <laughs> yes. But you know, I wasn't going to ask.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, let, I'll tell you. Don't <laughs> worry. You've got to ask me. We're mutually interviewed. <laughs> we have to ask questions of each other because we're mutually, we don't have a guest this week. So you and I are our guests. We're um, it. We're it, dude. Oh, um, well, that's pretty yeah, exciting. I mean, I, I I don't know. I guess I'm I'm comfortable with feeling shitty about things. Um, it doesn't mean that i'm unhappy and it doesn't mean that i'm depressed mm-hmm. i'm okay feeling the gravity of culpability you know um in my own way i mean yeah I, w- I didn't live then i didn't decide to have this world but i want to move forward as ethically as i can mm-hmm. as i possibly can um and i don't know i yeah i think reconciling um Thanksgiving would be a good idea it is different than the United States I do love the the holiday and I've got to tell you that United States has something going for it with their Thanksgiving um besides the Black Friday or whatever that holiday is called right I I and Cyber Monday I went out once for Boxing Day in Canada to go shopping with my friend Sharona and I think Jane I think the three of us went out and I got an incredible pair of boots and I said I'll never do that again it was so exhausting, so traumatic. We went to the Bay at Bloor and, and uh, Young Street, right? Mm-hmm. And I did get a cool, cool pair of red wedge boots that I love. Which I
1: think, I think is ancient Canadian history now.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right.
1: <laughs> that whole corner. You know, I, I went by there when I was walking down to Little Canada last week from the subway yeah. just to see what it looked like at Young and Bloor. and so much of it was unrecognizable yes. because of construction and other chunks of it were so much the same, you yeah. know, the same slightly seedy businesses that were kind of okay, but I don't know what they're doing there and who shops there. Right. Um, anyway, sorry, I, I, I digressed okay. and interrupted. That's okay. Usual.
0: I have a slight digression because um, I watched the Eurovision comedy with Will Ferrell the other day in Connecticut. And I noticed he was wearing a Hudson Bay coat in one scene. Some of the clothing in that movie is you've got to, if you haven't seen the Will Ferrell Eurovision film, you've got to see it. It's, it's so silly and fun. And I love all his movies because like Anchorman and, and, you know, he does a lot of really fun things. It was a kind of a Will Ferrell day because I rewatched Zoolander as well, uh, where he plays a bad guy in Zoolander, a fashion designer. Um, So uh, an
1: evil fashion designer.
0: Yes. Yes. And um, you know what, Zoolander really holds up. I haven't seen it uh for quite a number of years, and it holds up, it's fantastic. But this Eurovision, which I've completely forgot the name of it, um, he's wearing a Hudson Bay coat at one point. And I was like, oh my god, I have to stop the film. He's wearing a Hudson Bay coat. <laughs> so somebody in Sw- in Sweden knows about Hudson Bay coats. What's the uh what's
1: the Robert Altman film about the fashion industry?
0: Prete Porte. Sheila
1: had that on the other day. Oh yeah. And um, I attempted to sort of watch it while well, like doing sudoku puzzles or something. Um, it was the worst movie. it had so many stars in it. everybody yeah. who was in it was super famous yeah and man i you know I think maybe it's my generation maybe it's because I can't put myself into the 70s um I don't know but I just couldn't deal with this movie I'm at all I couldn't get here. into it.
0: I'm seeing a theme here.
1: what's the what's the theme?
0: is that I believe you're not a fan of nonlinear films. I'm just going to throw that out there. Now, I don't know, it's something we can sit on. Do you like? What's your favorite nonlinear format of of a story? I don't know. But I do notice when we get to a a nonlinear story, you're often not pleased Mm -hmm. with it. And um, i don't know maybe i'm just imagining it's nothing on your character i think it's a it's a very difficult genre now that movie i do remember not being that great um but i think there's robert altman i really do like him but he does a lot of nonlinear he did anyway where there's sketches of a book and i believe factors.
1: to my heart
0: yes that that
1: film stunk <laughs> And it had nothing to do with its non-linearity. Well, I know, it but may I just... have had to do with its lack of script. So, right. uh, and sometimes a movie without a script, like for instance, um, Best in Show, uh, can work delightfully without without a script. Oh, right. But maybe this one had a script and it was just tremendously bad. It was right. just a and horrible I would, film.
0: I would say that um, improvisation is a form of having a script though. I would say Improv. You're right. They had the best improv people on the planet doing best of show, and um, so it's going to have some strong. Uh, and each of those people are going into it thinking about a beginning, middle, and end when you do improv because you're looking for that closure, that callback, in uh in improv. But you know, it is. I would agree. It's non linear. It's an unusual structure film best in show, but it is improv with, you know, with writers. They're writing as they go. So, yeah, anyway, Prettiport is not a great film. And Now I'm going to have to watch it and see how bad it is, but I remember I didn't enjoy it at the time. And, um, you know, I've got, people love Gosford Park. Wasn't that also his? And I did enjoy parts of Gosford Park, but it was difficult. He's not an easy filmmaker, mm-hmm. although I loved him, his early work, very, very much. To, Harold to, to and me, Maude.
1: To me, his work screams the 70s. It really it screams of its time. Yeah. Uh, especially when I see any of it now
0: yeah well Um, he was experimental he was as
1: as well he I mean I believe he hired Elliot Gould in films which (laughs) is just a crime
0: isn't it I know I mean was he not the worst actor to ever get starring roles in anything I don't know he had a persona that people liked I think that's it yeah it was I I just can't figure it out and you know
1: I've tried to watch Elliot Gould movies (laughs) because I think Eugene you know you just don't like Elliot Gould movies and you got it in your head you're not going to like it you gotta give this a shot. And so I would try. And yeah. it's like, why am I wasting time on this? I can't
0: handle this. Yeah. Some of my favorite movies and um very influential movies for me have been um 70s Americana movies, you know, Mean Streets, uh Taxi Driver, um, you know, that uh um uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which I think was Robert Altman actually, now that I just said that. So I did really go through a phase of enjoying Robert Altman. Um, Pret-de-port was a stinker. was Nashville. Love that movie. Love that movie. Also, I think sort of done in, ch- I think what he did was he did chapters and that's why he did shortcuts. It was a Raymond Carver book of short stories. It was not necessarily cohesive, except it was all in one movie. And someone like Kelly Reichardt does that very well. Um, and Robert Altman was known for that kind of thing. I've yet
1: to see a Kelly Reichardt film I didn't love. I know she's the best.
0: I love her. Did you see Wendy and Lucy? I
1: I saw one. I forget the title of it now. That was it was a remarkably non-linear film. Actually, (laughs) it was about uh, it was about a woman who was like on a horse farm, and it had various different sorts of.
0: Oh yeah, we watched that. We talked about that on here. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I forget what it's called. I forgot. But it was it pretty it. nonlinear, and yeah. and I would just like to say, in my own defense, I thought it was a wonderful film. There you go. However, oh. if we need to title this episode, Eugene hates nonlinear films. I think we should. We could because that'll I, be like a clip clickbait. People will see true. that and they'll they want to just like when we did the episode that <clears> was what did we call Candy Minks.
0: Oh yeah, I can't remember what I was called. I forgot. I, <laughs> it
1: was it was, um,
0: yeah, irrational uh, or something. So or,
1: anyway, yeah. So yeah. we can have more more clickbait.
0: All right, good. Uh, yeah. Um, did that episode do well by calling it that? I don't know. I never checked the numbers. Yeah. I, I, I don't know.
1: I don't um, yeah, know.
0: no, I don't know, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, listen, nonlinear and experimental film is very I, I, uncomfortable. It can be. It can be uncomfortable. So. I don't know. And having said that, you're right about Brett's report. So I can't.
1: All right. That. So um, you know we have to have a chess update.
0: Yes, I can't wait.
1: Because uh, what what's an episode we don't have a chess update today? So I mean,
0: this is incredible that we're talking about chess. My absolute I absolutely love it. Promise. So
1: at some point, uh, Magnus Carlson, during the drama, which is what mm-hmm. they refer to it in the chess world, the drama. Okay. Um, he made some comment about. Um, uh, Maxime DeLugie, who he referred to as Hans Nieman's mentor, playing very well these days. And it was uh, sort of a backhanded compliment, yeah. sort of implying that this is the guy who coached uh, Hans Nieman into cheating. Oh. So um, Maxime DeLugie did not take this sitting down and he's published a statement. And it is a little bit uh, lengthy, but I'm going to read it because... Oh, Because, you know, we've been putting out different sides to the story. I think this guy's side deserves to get out, too. Good. All right. A grandmaster and a chess professional for more than 40 years, I have found myself dragged into the cheating controversy rocking the chess world following the release of confidential emails by chess.com, a company with a huge financial stake in supporting the version of events pushed by chess world champion Magnus Carlsen. The first bolt from the sky came when Magnus said that I was a mentor to Hans Neiman, a former student of mine with whom I've kept an occasional touch over the years, insinuating that I helped him cheat. Then came calls from reporters seeking comment on two-year-old emails between Chess.com and me that the website had agreed in written form to keep confidential and released without my consent. You just can't make this stuff up. Terrible. Okay, in a roundabout way, the exchanges could be purported to prop up claims made by Magnus, with whom Chess.com just happens to be negotiating a huge financial deal. Uh-huh. So even though I had absolutely nothing to do with the now infamous match between Magnus and Hans, I now feel compelled to defend myself against completely absurd and slanderous accusations made against me. I've been involved in chess for the vast majority of my life. I won my first chess tournament when I was 15. I won the World Junior Chess Championship in 1985, was the highest rated blitz player in the World Blitz Chess Association in the period between 1988 and 1992, and tied for first in the World Rapid Championships in 1989. I was also elected as one of the seven members of the Grandmasters Association Board of Directors in 1989 and as President of the U.S. Chess Federation in 1990. More recently, I was Chairman of the Association of Chess Professionals, helped Gary Kasparov and Anatoly Karpov run their bid for FIDE presidency and started an online chess matching service to match titled professionals and chess students. In recent years, I've tried to maintain my blitz form. My official FIDE blitz rating dropped from 2731 about 10 years ago to slightly above 2600. Still, six years ago, at the end of the Sinkfield Cup, I managed to split an informal match of about 50 bullet games with Magnus Carlsen, prompting him to muster a compliment. You are very strong when the match was over. As a coach, I helped Gary Kasparov in his matches against Anatoly Karpov and years later, Anatoly Karpov in his rapid tournaments in France and Russia. I was involved with Chess.com as one of their banter blitz showmen and as a commentator for a number of their events and have produced over 30 instructional videos for the website, which it displays to this day. In 2013, I orchestrated the capture of infamous chess cheater, Borislav Ivanov. You can read more about it, and he gives a link. I also wrote the book Grandmaster Insides, detailing my chess career and have recently completed work on the Queen's Gambit Accepted book for Russell Enterprises. Uh In 2015, I founded Chess Max Academy on New York City's Upper East Side. Today, we operate three locations. And my students have won more than 20 national scholastic, scholastic titles. Excuse me. In the last several years, I've played tens of thousands of games on leechess.org, chessbase.com, playchess.com, chess24.com, and chess.com. Aside from the incidents on which I will expand before, aha, there's incidents with chess.com. I have never been accused of foul play by any other website or any over-the-board competition. Uh, I met Hans Niemann during the World Youth Championships in South Africa eight years ago when he was 11. I started working with him around October 2014. In the short three to four months, he went up from 2150 to 2350. I was not so much amazed by his progress as I had students who demonstrated similar growth, but by his ability to digest the information I would give him and then improve upon it. Most of my sessions would take place between rounds of major tournaments on the West Coast, and it was clear that Hans could take information as quickly as the top GM could, immediately being able to implement it in the game he played. When Hans moved to Connecticut with his family, I imagined how much more work we could do together, but unfortunately this was not to be. Various family circumstances prevented us from working together. And though I would always be happy to give him pointers as we would meet in some rapid or blitz events in the New York area, this was no longer an ongoing relationship. When Hans became stronger, he started giving lessons in the neighborhood of chess max Academy, which was on the upper East side of Manhattan. He would sometimes stop over for a few minutes to grab a snack, play a blitz game, and then he would be off. I didn't, feel he was too serious about his chess career and so I didn't offer to help him out. The change came when he applied to Harvard University and didn't get in. At that point, he made a firm decision to work extremely hard to become the best chess player he could be. As I never demanded anything of him and always supported anything he was doing, Hans reached out and I was happy to ensure him that if he ever needed any advice or help or ideas on how to improve in chess, I would be happy to offer them. As I mentioned in my Facebook post after Hans beat Magnus, one of such suggestions happened over a year ago as Hans was preparing for the U.S. Junior Championship 2021. I invited Hans to Chess Max Academy in Manhattan, and we spent four hours going over some complicated endgames to improve his endgame understanding. I truly thought this was his weakest part of the game at the time and pressed him to do more work on it. My Facebook post thus reflected my jubilation at the fact that it seemed he listened to me, though post-factum, as his play in the U.S. Junior Championship, where he misplayed two endgames, which cost him a full point, barely enabled him to win that event. More recently, Hans has reached out a bit more for advice on the right coach for him. It took some time, but the issue has also been resolved. To maintain the integrity of Hans's chess preparations, I'm not at liberty to disclose the name of his coach. I didn't have anything to do with Hans's success in his game against Magnus, contrary to what Magnus has insinuated, as I don't prepare Hans for his games. That is his own job and potentially the job of his current coach. Since 2014, I've also not given Hans advice on actual game preparation for any other tournaments, whether online or over the board, as in my opinion, only a full-time coach would have enough knowledge to be able to do this in a professional Mm -hmm. manner. Magnus Carlson accusations. I do consider myself something as a of a mentor to Hans though this is clearly a very tentative title one that is established at both participants will on the monday before magnus referred to me as hans's mentor i had what i believe to be a friendly chat with a mutual acquaintance of mine and magnus clearly this chat formed the basis of magnus's claim it looked like magnus has been told by advisors to avoid direct accusations and work with insinuations he insinuated that Hans cheated in their game without saying as much. And when it came to say something of note, he insinuated that Hans has a mentor, myself, who is doing a great job helping him play well, to which, which to Magnus now is equivalent to cheating. He then came out openly and claimed Hans has cheated and he will not be playing in tournaments with him anymore. Magnus's plan is to try to prove guilt by association. If Hans has a mentor who is a cheat, by definition, Hans must be a cheat, and therefore he did cheat in their game as he looked relaxed, or rather not tense when playing him. The public was then directed to check out my alleged cheating incidents in 2017 and 2020 on chess.com, which would firmly establish that since I admitted to violating fair play policies of chess.com, I clearly helped or advised Hans that the only way for him to make progress in chess is by cheating. Since Hans has by then already admitted that he has cheated when he was 12 and 16, it would get social media firmly behind the world champion's plan of further implicating Hans by connecting one cheat with another. There's a number of problems with this concept. Although to cheat with an actual device, you do need an accomplice who has access to the device with a chess engine running on it. You also need a connection to the device, which given the precautions taken at many of the modern tournaments, especially the Sinkfield Cup, is not even a remote possibility. None of the specialists tasked to find anything wrong with the actual Carlson niemann game in question came up with anything substantive pointing to any outside influence in generating moves. In fact, Hans has, on at least two occasions during that game, relinquished much of his advantage gained in the early opening phase, but Magnus failed to capitalize on it. Kenneth Regan, the accepted foremost authority on the subject, presented a detailed report where he found no evidence of Hans using an engine, neither in that particular game nor in any other over-the-board game. This hardly gives merit to the idea of a device passing moves to Hans during the game. There's no plausible method known to me or anyone I know, including thousands of social media posts where I could be acting as an accomplice to Hans insinuated cheating in his game with Magnus. There's no device, there's no actual cheating, and I was in New York City when the game was played. My relation to Hans is explained above. There is no work done on tournament or game preparation between the two of us going on now or in the last eight years, except for the four-hour session before the U.S. Junior Championship 2001, focused entirely on endings. Managing three physical academies in Manhattan and Connecticut, as well as a seven school programs and online school doesn't give me enough time to work with players (laughs) such as Hans. And so this possibility is a non-starter. There is more but there's not that much more. So um, the emails submitted by chess.com showed that I indeed violated their fair play guidelines twice in 2017 in two tournaments where one of my students in a class was shouting out moves together with other students while consulting with the engine. Mm. I realized that the accusation in 2017 had some truth to them A few months later, only after I caught the student in question cheating, Mm. as soon as this happened, I immediately reached out to Danny Wrench and admitted to the breach of fair play guidelines that I didn't know I committed until that moment. I admitted this was a violation. Though the recent videos of Magnus Carlsen receiving advice from one of the top British players, David Howell, to beat a major competitor in a money tournament on leeches.org seems to be a larger violation as he willingly played the move which won the game on the spot. It could be seen clearly in the video that Magnus didn't take this too seriously, admitting that he was cheating on the spot. In my case, I truly had no... Reason to believe that I had actually cheated and was adamant I did not cheat until I realized what was happening months later. As the thought that kids rated over a thousand points lower than me could be helping me play better never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. I think I was negligent in not imagining that such a thing could occur. But having apologized for it and having offered to return the prize money for the event, an offer Danny Wrench did not comment on, I think I did as much as anyone would under the circumstances. On May 10th of 2018, Danny Ranch offered me to start playing in titled Tuesday tournaments by October, if I started streaming. This was my reply. Hi, Danny. I'm fine using my current Best in Blitz account. And so if you could switch it to my name, it would be fine. The problem is my groups are not allowing me to complete entitled Tuesdays because of the time conflict. And clearly I'm not going to repeat what happened with the students offering advice. So until my new academy gets off the ground, allowing me personal time, I won't be able to compete or stream during those events. Hopefully by January First, 2019, I will be available to play or otherwise participate in the PCL, so that solution seems most likely if anything changes in my schedule, and I can start playing and streaming the title Tuesday earlier, we can revisit. In 2019, I resumed playing on chess.com and was kicked out of a tournament for no apparent reason. Here's the email exchange between me and Danny Wrench pertaining to that event. Hi, Maxime. First, my apologies for the delay. I wanted to be sure what happened before responding. Your removal from the tournament was based on old information for our fair play team, and the action was taken based on the understanding that a restriction for you to compete in prize events was still in order. I've now confirmed to my team that your restriction is lifted and that you're free to compete in prize events. Once more, my apologies for the inconvenience. Mm -hmm. That's from Danny wrench. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another title Tuesday event around the same time where I started with four slash four before the, the chess.com server crashed after wasting two hours, including the waiting time to hear announcements. It was announced that the afternoon tournament's prizes will be combined with morning prizes. And the results of this morning event are annulled. All this made my participation to title Tuesdays a rare phenomenon as I simply had too much going on in my life at the time yet, In the spring of 2020, I decided to play again. It should come as no surprise that even if my 40 plus years of distinguished chess career weren't there, the thought of using engine assistance, given the above history would be the furthest from my mind. In the spring 2020 tournament, which I played in, after my account was fully reinstated, three years after the 2017 events, I was kicked out by Chess.com during the ninth round of the tournament where I had a score of six and five eights while not using any outside assistance. I was shocked by this as I was playing the tournament from my apartment and could not understand what occurred. I was informed that I was kicked out For fair play guidelines violations, and that given the past history, I would have 72 hours to confess to anything regarding fair play guideline violations or my account would be closed permanently. This created quite a dilemma. On the one hand, from my previous discussions with Danny Wrench on the subject, it became quite obvious that he believes in chess.com methodology more than anything else Although, having recently studied the materials on the Chess.com website, I found out that it turns out that five or six appeals per month are actually satisfied, and those accounts are reinstated. I simply didn't have the time to deal with this situation, and since I took Chess.com at their word that the email exchange would continue to be confidential and private, as stated in all of their correspondence, I made the mistake of agreeing to admitting that I used some help in some of the games in the event.
0: Oh, my. Oh, Oh, jeez.
1: The flip side would be potentially worse. When you're kicked out of chess.com, rumors start circulating immediately that you cheated and therefore were kicked out. Remembering the messages I got back in 2017, I decided it's best to admit to wrongdoing. And if they ever made this public, I would always be able to prove that I didn't cheat by simply analyzing the game's in question. Sadly, it has come down to this. Since chess.com can now not be trusted with keeping their promises, I will have to do what I do best, analyze chess games. And then he proceeds to analyze a whole pile of chess games. Wow. I'm not going to go into yeah. it, but I don't even know what to make of this. At at this point, it looks to me that between all the participants, between the FIDA between the chess.com people, uh-huh. chess is in a mess. uh-huh It seems like they really don't know what to do when they find people who cheat. You know, <clears throat> if they can even successfully do that.
0: It's funny. Uh, there's a meme I shared yesterday, and it's got um, 30 people going for coffee, and it's an aerial view looking down on a drive-through Starbucks or something and there's 30 people lined up to go through the di- drive-through right right below that is a picture of a cafe with a whole bunch of people going for coffee 30 people having coffee in the cafe and it sounds to me that an awful lot of this has to do with technology and oh, yeah. this idea of that you're not playing in the room one-on-one anymore that's right um, you know I don't like his letter. I thought it started off really fun. I was kind of feeling for the guy. By the time he said that he would. He admitted he
1: cheated. Even
0: even though he said he didn't, he admitted it because it was easier (laughs) to just admit it. That was. I don't don't buy that. that at all. I don't either. I don't either. I liked how he was very proactive with his skills, his list of accomplishments. I think that's all fantastic. I think, dude, put a mask on and go play in person. I, I just think you're going to have to play these games in person and check your bag at the door. Well, yeah,
1: they're even doing, they're scanning people's bodily orifices. Oh, they're coming into the chess tournaments now. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it just shows that humans will cheat at everything they possibly can. And it, the whole thing has just become so convoluted. <laughs> the only winners in this are the chess streamers. Um, And I've started to check out some of those chess streamers because I wanted like the scoop on what's going on there. Right. And some of them are super entertaining. And I did want to also just mention it to our listeners. If you're at all interested in this, check out the YouTube stream for GM Ben Feingold, who is a strong GM. I don't think he plays tournament chess anymore. Um, he makes his living by streaming and has squillions of followers and I think he does really really well uh-huh. and he just comes on and he talks about stuff yeah. and he says what's on his mind and he's a lovable curmudgeon yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. Um, the other one that I would recommend is called Gotham Check Chess and it's uh, a guy named uh, Le- Levy Levy? Levy I guess I'm not sure his last name Um, But he's become he's an international master who's recently retired from tournament chess, and he full time streams about chess. Um, So he analyzes games. And for instance, right now, the US championships are on men's and women's, and you can watch it in real time on the St. Louis chess club Chess Channel, but you can also go to Gotham Chess every night after all the games, and he breaks down the most interesting of the games with commentary, and
0: it's really excellent. Highly recommended. Wow. Yeah. That's a freaking shame. That's pretty crazy. Good stuff. Um, And yeah, I guess it's great. People are talking about chess, you know, and playing chess and, you know, the thing about, you're right, Every, everywhere in history, there's, uh, and in our culture and our humans, we cheat. Animals cheat sometimes too. They'll sneak and steal things from each other. Um, It's, there's different kinds of cheating, you know, I mean, in a capitalist society where you're winning fame, you're winning this money, you're on on TV or you're not on TV, there's going to be cheating. There's going to be cheating when we believe in competition for for the for sake sure. yep. for money and stuff there's going to be cheating however there's always competition if even in the natural world like i said you know uh, uh, uh primates will steal from each other uh but you get it right away you get payback right away and um at least it's like this desperation it's a bit more honest or something There is something really sad to be not gained by cheating. You just, you have to wonder, I understand when the kid was young, this guy, he made a mistake. I'd like to believe he learned a lesson and he got over it. Um, And the pressure must have been on him insanely, maybe from his family, maybe from friends
1: at school. (laughs) Imagine the pressure on him now. He said in an interview the other day that uh, when he goes into a restaurant to get like a burger or something, um, you know, the waiter says stuff like the food speaks for itself
0: oh wow <laughs> the venue speaks
1: for itself
0: that's great because
1: he made the famous now wow. famous statement chess speaks for itself but so he's being recognized practice. it's crazy people are recognizing a chess
0: player uh, that is amazing because i mean is that in new york well i guess he's in,
1: he would have been in saint louis when he did that interview
0: oh okay because i'm like wow i mean i just don't think anybody's going to recognize him in, in this neighborhood or uh, such. So it's gotta be a big rural city, but it's amazing. Like I love the restaurant staff recognizes them. Well, I guess St. Louis is chess town too, right? Is it? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's where the
1: biggest tournaments are held the biggest oh. chess club, the most oh. prestigious chess club.
0: Yeah. Really? Hmm. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, Very who interesting. knew? I didn't know. I didn't know until all this broke. I'm learning all this arcane yeah. detail about chess yeah. that I really didn't need to know, but it's just kind of fascinating because of all the complexities that nothing, everything is gray area. And, you know, Carlson didn't even make an actual accusation. He just, you know, it's like in the village when someone starts a rumor, yeah, right? And there, how long before the rumor becomes fact and yeah. someone gets expelled well, from the and village. But also
0: right? it's not a rumor if it is fact. That's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. And
0: yeah. uh, well, Wow, there's a lot of cheating. Yeah, there's a lot of cheating. That's people do that. They're desperate. They want to. They want the fame. You they want to win. Money. They want to win. There's so many reasons about winning. And you and I enjoy winning. We enjoy playing games together, and you know. But it is about yeah,
1: the level of seriousness that we have for it is more is more. I would say for me more academic. Like I uh, spend time studying Go. I yeah. watch pro games and I try yeah. to learn from them um, so that in my own games. Um, I could play stronger and enjoy the game at a richer level, but that's really, you know, it's, it's amateur, right. And in the, the meaning of amateur is for the love of, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what that's, that's about. It's when, it's when there's prize money on the line mm-hmm. and uh, prestige on the line, or when there's, I don't know, uh, you could put it in, in among writers or among actors or uh, whatever Whatever you're competing for, if there's a small piece of custard pie and everybody wants some of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. and if, it, if there's no equanimity, if there's no way for that equanimity, I mean, part of the problem is is that you could be angry at someone for cheating, but I look at the bigger picture and there's this pressure of a belief system that we believe success is defined a certain way. Your income defines you, your fame defines you all of that feeds into it um, i remember you know the, there's cheating everywhere even on project runway where there's cameras on people in the maybe second season someone used patterns you're not allowed to use patterns on the show uh you can you obviously make your own patterns and oh
1: i understand oh. when you said patterns i'm thinking like mm-hmm. pattern cloth but no i understand patterns right right, right.
0: patterns oh. of cut out paper tissue you're not allowed to bring a pattern book or use patterns you have to make it on the from your insides out you've got to you've got to bring your experience to the to the competition and that person got kicked off immediately but it was interesting to me that they knew the rule and they knew there were cameras on them and they still tried to do it and at what cost i mean i can't imagine what their life was like after that on a such a popular tv show yeah you know and i felt yeah. sorry for the person that they didn't that they thought they were smarter than the situation or they thought they could outthink it um And is it worth it? You know, um, this is an ethical, spiritual thing too. It's because the whole point is that you won because you won. Because you did it. You brought your timing, your experience, and your uh, willingness to take a chance to win. Maybe you'll win, maybe you'll lose. The other thing is to some, a game like Go or lifelong playing of games teaches you how, what kind of player do you want to be? Do you want to be a sore loser or do you want to be a good sport? And um, and can you handle losing? Losing is part of life. You're going to die one day. You're going to lose people you love. Um, you're going to lose your, um, your favorite pen or your favorite. I lost my trench coat at Madison Square Garden. Man. Um, yeah, I know. You know how many trench coats, black trench coats I've lost in my life? A lot. Because you wear this trench coat in a season where the weather's kind of temperate. Right, so you're
1: taking it off.
0: You're taking it off. And then when you leave, it seems nice out. You don't notice that you didn't have it. And I lost
1: a really good scarf. (laughs) I took it off at a movie theater, disappeared. It didn't show up in the Lost and Found by the time I realized it. I've lost hats. My Algoma Central Railway hat I left at a restaurant somewhere. I I left a hat in the Chicago airport once. It was a brand new hat.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I got to keep them on my head like yes. I have now or yes. I can't hold on to them.
0: Right. Well, sometimes I'll put my scarf tied around my purse.
1: Hey, speaking of fashion. Yes. I don't know if you saw um, uh, Cher closed the Fashion Week in Paris runway show. Wasn't she gorgeous? I did, not see, gorgeous it. At I did 76? not
0: see it. I didn't either. Oh, didn't my see God. It. Check it
1: out on the I, YouTube. I will. Go share. I will. Cher. That's, That's so cool. Saying.
0: That's very cool. She was gorgeous. Oh. Um, just fantastic out there. Oh, Cher Fashion Week. I just sent you a picture of, of the cakes I just made this morning. Oh, you're baking. I was this morning. The same cakes I made last week in um, Connecticut. Uh, but I made a double recipe. And, oh, you know what? I did see a picture of Cher, and she's in a rubber suit. Oh, yeah. With, the with pot,
1: platform shoes.
0: Yeah, amazing. I see her. She looks great. She looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I did see that picture on social media, but I didn't stop scrolling when I saw the picture and I didn't realize it was Cher even. Yeah, she looks amazing. Yeah,
1: we seem to have um uh, we seem to have people uh reappearing from the distant past into uh to into renewed fame. Cher here, we just saw Joni Mitchell perform again. Right. Um that, that's so cool. It
0: is I like so cool. That. You know, it used to be that you would be a has been or you weren't in the limelight. And I remember when Dancing with the Stars came out and they had these people come on the shows and their careers were revitalized. Uh people had forgot about, you know, Donnie Osmond, Osmond and Maria Osmond, they their careers completely blossomed after they were on Dancing with the Stars.
1: Is that so? so? I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, so
0: there's this idea that they're now the celebrity is more enduring, that you're not a has been anymore. That that's and that that's, that's, a, that's a good a, thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's tough if you're if you devoted your life to a craft like acting and and you find all of a sudden you're not getting parts because everybody's looking for somebody younger somebody well, prettier or well, whatever there,
0: is, there is that there is that with females after the age of 40 they don't get jobs anymore um they are written off and uh you know yeah you know, we just it,
1: saw we just saw here in canada bell media hired right? lisa LaFlamme after she dyed her hair gray
0: yes <laughs> or sorry, after
1: she stopped dyeing her hair oh, she sorry, let her hair sorry, go that's when i, did, what yeah. I
0: yeah, which, which is really funny because there's tons of young people coloring their hair silvery purple.
1: Of course, people. it's just so stupid. Now, yeah. was that the reason? I don't know, but certainly the reason, well, Bell's having a lot of problems right now. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, oh, yeah. You know, they, they haven't been good to their staff oh, yeah. and I don't think they have a strong culture there. And right. now they've lost Evan Solomon as well.
0: Oh, yeah. And all of this ties right back into a competitive culture. That worships competition in an unhealthy manner. It completely goes back to like how do we define success and wealth and, and creativity and how we look. And uh, you know, I I think that maybe the the re seen share, seeing Joni Mitchell, maybe that's because people are trying to resist that. You know, ageism is probably the last um human rights issue coming to the forefront, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. It's been making you know, circling its way, mental health and ageism. And uh, that's kind of a new frontier in any human rights or human uh, respect.
1: Well, and an interesting thing that's also happening now is that with the, um, uh, what do we call it? The the, the great resignation with, with so many people leaving their jobs and so yeah. much churn, and it's so hard to hire people companies that were not hiring people who were over 50 say are now doing that um and i think it's good and bad i mean it's good that that people who are older have opportunities yeah which is really good but i think um i think sometimes those opportunities are aren't are very difficult like uh what was that film about uh people living in their vans? Oh, uh, Nomadland. Nomadland and and they talked about um Oh, we have a call. Hang on.
0: Oh,
1: okay. I'm going to take the call. Just
0: All right. Second.
1: Hello? Hello? Uh not not for me. It must be somebody scamming my number. Uh-huh. I'm in the middle of podcasting. I'm not phoning anybody. Okay, so uh, sorry, somebody's done it to you, but it's not me, sir. Have a good day. Okay, bye. What was that? Um, there's uh, there's scams now in which uh, people will call and they they grab a real number. Yeah. But it's not it's my number, and yeah. so I've had several times in the past couple of months. Somebody call me and say you just called me.
0: Oh I funny. Like, no,
1: I didn't call you. And that's what this guy did. He thought I called yeah. him. But and I did they- didn't just call him. I was talking to you on the podcast when the right. phone rang. Right. Oh, huh, crazy.
0: So he's not the scammer. He's the victim of a scammer.
1: He's the victim of a scam and he's he's trying just trying to call back because yeah. if he had answered his phone, he would have they would have tried to scam on him. Right. Like, um, but he's just trying to call back. So clearly people are stealing numbers. Oh crazy. It's probably random. I don't know. Yeah, I just Anyway, how do you
0: how is how are you able to do that?
1: What were we talking about?
0: We were talking about um
1: I can't believe I said I can't of, believe I said that about Lisa laflam mixing up letting her hair go back to its no, no, natural you, color. I knew I just kind of I know it's kind of reversed it in my mind. I thought what no, an idiot I am. It was a
0: terrible story and um you know, yeah. you it's just it's just a word fart. Yes. You know? <laughs> It happens all the time. You just
1: the Story of happens. my life.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that was quite a story and it was amazing the support she got in for in Canada for Oh, you hear that siren?
1: Yeah. Is that um, uh is that Pilsen?
0: I guess so. I don't know. I hope everybody's okay. Um at least the construction has taken a break. It must be coffee time because we Here at Here coffee. at
1: the Agency podcast, we provide all kinds of sound effects. That's we right. have sirens, we have telephones, That's everything.
0: Right. You know? I'm going to just jump topics here because i want to make oh guess what i found my remote control for the dvd player (laughs) (laughs) was that a year ago
1: you lost that it was probably 80 episodes ago
0: oh god it was so long ago (laughs) um i found it it is turned on i had a cable guy come over to fix the uh the wi-fi went down my wi-fi apparently is much better it does seem stronger and we had a technician in yesterday and i found my remote when i went out to wisconsin i forgot to tell you and then, I, uh, then when I went to go look at my film and-, and You found, found your remote in Wisconsin? Well, long story short was, remember, I went out there to do some editing. Yes. And with our, our friend, Trisha. and in my box of film equipment was the remote for the DVD player. Uh, I had no I idea, it. no idea why it was in there, how it got in there or why and or when, but it was a long time ago. Then second, then I couldn't find the, uh, the DVD player, of course. <laughs> And I had bought another DVD player, but I didn't want the learning curve. And then we had the fire. Then we're here. So yesterday, I don't know where I found the DVD player, my original one, got it all hooked up and it's working just fine. So I can't wait to start to watch my Criterion collection. Oh, yeah. My remote was a year ago because I got all those Criterion movies given to me a year ago. Great, Excellent. And then I couldn't find my remote, got a new DVD player, couldn't hook it up. So I'm giving that DVD player, which is brand new, to Michelle and Megan, our friends and listeners to the podcast. And Excellent. so I'll be giving that. Th- they might come over Thursday with a bottle of wine or I might drop it off tomorrow. One of the two. Something like that.
1: We have another phone call. The other is the that. landline, which we reserve for our scammers. and
0: I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid anybody says anything too personal. Okay. So that was my big news announcement. Meanwhile. Um, you're familiar with the fact that I watched Dahmer monster. Yes. It is beyond fantastic. Really? It's so good. Eugene. I, I wish I could convince you to watch it, but I wouldn't want to force anyone to. There are some difficult scenes, absolutely difficult scenes. Um, yeah,
1: I, I may be serial killered out for a while.
0: Right. Well, I guess they, I think that the pundits thought everyone was serial killered out, but this, this program by Ryan Murphy, who has a contract with Netflix. He did The People versus OJ Simpson. He did Feud about Bett Davis and Joan Crawford's. Uh, the, the, I don't know if you watch Feud, but it was really the argument was that the production companies made them be enemies because it sold pictures. And they played gaslighting with these women. And then he did um, Impe- Impeachment, which I watched a while ago, Monica Lewinsky's story, which was fantastic. Anyway, the Dahmer story, they their pundits did think it was that people were sick of serial killer stories, but this has broken Netflix. It had really? 200 million viewers, hours of viewing in the first week alone. I it's, thought you ditched Netflix. Yeah, did, Netflix didn't ditch me. <laughs> they didn't take my cancellation, apparently. Oh, okay, well, there you yeah. go. Yeah, there you go. Well, I did good thing. cancel it. I did cancel it. And next thing I know, it's it's working. I found out because I think Stag put it on or something. He didn't know I'd canceled it and it was working. And I've, I've contacted a couple more times. So good thing. I didn't good thing. They didn't cancel it because I will tell you it was one of the most remarkable viewing experiences I've ever had. Really? Um, And what made it remarkable? Well, first I went in not expecting much. I thought, well, I know Ryan Murphy. I know what he does and I'm going to, it's going to be good. But I did. And I thought it's also going to be salacious. Maybe it's going to be nasty. Maybe they're cashing in on something really gross, like mm-hmm. cannibalism. However, the last thing I was expecting it was it to be profoundly educational. It's so good. So the story starts out the first episode. We meet his neighbor, played by Nisi Nash, who definitely should get an Emmy and she should go on to movies. She's she's just doing such good work outside of type. She's a comedic actress. And uh, she just did a beautiful job playing Jeffrey Dahmer's main neighbor who had called the police dozens of times, dozens and dozens and dozens of times because of the noise, the screaming, the threats, people begging for help in the apartment next door to her. And I'm sorry to say the smell. Mm. And I think we all know what that is. So I remember when Jeffrey Dahmer got caught, I think even Michael Moore did a segment on why people, why don't people call the police? Um, Michael Moore was wrong on that. People did call the police. And I bought into that idea that how come no one reported this guy? Well, apparently she did. Glenda was the character's name, the person's name. And uh, so you follow her existence. You follow Jeffrey Dahmer. We get some flashbacks to his childhood um, and we meet his parents. Richard Jenkins plays his father, Richard Jenkins is one of my favorite actors, he plays Richard, or groceries, if you will, in Eat, Pray, Love, he played a drummer, a a guy who was a very lonely person in New York City, who meets um, a group of people, partly, I believe they're immigrants, and he becomes a passion for drumming, I I cannot remember the name of this movie, it's so good.
1: So he's a drummer and a loner.
0: Uh, yeah, he's just a wonderful hard, hard to believe. Yeah, <laughs> Richard Jenkins is just an incredible. I, I
1: know this because I've been the butt of every uh, every joke accordion intro. joke, banjo joke. Anyway, yeah. carry on.
0: Yeah, Richard Jenkins, incredible. Molly Ringwald plays the mother. Uh, Penelope Ann Miller, oh, the stepmother. And Penelope Ann Miller plays the actual mother. Uh, there's so many good people. What's his name, Tony Hughes? No, not Tony Hughes. I forgot his first name, I'll, I'll find it. Uh, so basically, the directorial content is incredible. They've cast everyone amazing. Jennifer Lynch, Carl Franklin, Clement Virgo, Paris Barkley, this is creme de la creme of TV directors. Jennifer Lynch, her career died when she made a movie called Boxing Helena. It was a very creepy woman story about a woman put in a box and being amputated. Hmm. It, it now but it, at the time i think it was it was uh it just crashed and she was she's david lynch's daughter anyway she has found she quit directing films for 15 years because of it she's come back out She's been making all kinds of projects for years now um and her episodes were really good uh what do i want to say about this so then they focus on they go and they go through different characters two victims are highlighted one of the three victims are highlighted in the first episode. It's the guy who actually got away. There was a Jeffrey Dahmer victim who got, um, who went home with him and got uh, handcuffs put on him and really kind of talked Jeffrey slowed him down into um, knew he was in trouble knew he was locked in the apartment. And somehow this was a very stressful episode got out of the apartment and went to the police, and the police finally caught Jeffrey Dahmer. And then the story goes back through the childhood, through different victim stories.
1: So you're saying it's nonlinear?
0: It is nonlinear. I yeah, do. well,
1: I would no point in my watching it then,
0: right? <laughs> well, you know what? I realize flashbacks are also nonlinear. So I guess I should not call pret a or Ready-to-Wear that it did stink i noticed i looked up on rotten tomatoes it got 27 percent.
1: percent. Twenty seven that was generous yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know
1: what really bugged me about that is that there were so many great actors yeah i know
0: yeah you think I, they could make anything good uh, you would think so yeah it's true yeah i don't know i guess it was a bad idea badly played out so in dahmer uh we get a victim tony hughes And we follow his story. He is black and he's deaf and it's the episode he's in is called silence and you don't know why. And it starts and they did some incredible film work on this. They turned off all the sound and some of the dialogue is literally a four by three inch notepad that Dahmer and this guy use to talk to each other and they hold it up to each other. And we follow along with that to the camera. It's beautifully done. And you fall in love with Tony Hughes. He's just a beautiful, um, sweet person. And he probably was someone that he did care about Jeffrey Dahmer, didn't know who he was. And Jeffrey Dahmer did love him and didn't kill him for a while. For a while? Uh, for a while. He did eventually murder him. And you follow his mother and sister's um, trauma and crisis and trying to find out what happened to him. And you follow another fellow, a 14-year-old boy, is also kidnapped by Jeffrey Dahmer. It's a, you know what, it's such a crazy story because for one thing, it's one of the few serial killer um, shows where I didn't feel personal fear. I felt compassion for the victims, but I didn't feel personal fear. And I guess you can figure out why, right? Because Jeffrey Dahmer was gay and he only killed gay men. Um, He would meet them in gay bars. And um, he could not figure out how to, he, to say that he didn't know how to love or have a relationship is the understatement of the world. <laughs> um, and they follow this whole community in Milwaukee that's the underground gay scene. And it's played out against law enforcement. It's not unlike the assassination of Gianni Versace, which Ryan Murphy also made, where Ryan Murphy's thesis is that this serial killing got away with it because cops were um, bigoted against gay people. And this is the same story in the Jeffrey Dahmer story. At one point, he kidnaps a 14-year-old kid, a Laotian boy, and we meet his family and his father and his parents. And he kidnaps this Laotian boy, and the boy is trapped in the house for several days, but gets out. And his neighbor, Jeffrey Dahmer's neighbor, played by Nisi Nash and two other women, find this boy, pull him outside. He's unconscious, he's naked, he's bleeding. He's incoherent, I should say. And he's all fucked up and they call the police and the police escort him back into Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment because Jeffrey Dahmer comes home and says, Oh, that's my boyfriend. No, he's not underage. He lives with me. He's just drunk. And these cops totally dismiss one females two black females. They do not have voices one because they're women and one because they're black. And the portrayal of this is so excellent. Um, At some point, when they catch Jeffrey Dahmer, these two cops get fired. But they get reinstated and then they get recommendations, awards for catching Jeffrey Dahmer. It's so frustrating. Uh, What else do I want to say? I just want to say it's so beautifully done. It's Ryan Murphy's best piece of work, I would say. I think it's the greatest true crime that he's done. And um, it's, it's incredible. I felt so many emotions, so many things. You feel for these guys. Everyone's acting is so good. It's really quite a journey. It's pretty cool. I got 10 out of 10. Right,
1: well, strong recommendation. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'll try an episode. I, I don't know if I can really watch another serial killer movie. There's been I so understand. much serial killer material.
0: Yep. Yep. I understand. I, I totally don't want anyone to be forced into watching it. Um, It's just very good, but I would not want anyone to insist. Um, Speaking of heavy topics, I also watched the U.S. and the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. Pretty much nobody comes out good enough. Uh, I mean, for heroism. It basically is a Ken Burns vehicle, and Ken Burns does a lot. He's been doing work for 40 years on PBS. He did baseball. He did jazz. He did country music. I think we've talked about the country music Mm -hmm. program. Uh, baseball national parks. He's done so many great projects. I think
1: my camera even has a uh, 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 a Ken Burns setting on it.
0: It does. So you, have it a- has an auto
1: Ken Burns. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> I always have to. I always have to
0: disable it when I'm editing. I have to disable every frame on that. If you do stills, it's a, such a hassle. Uh, yeah, but that's so much how he's entered the pop culture. Yeah, of the world, right? And his and his Ken Burns technique of following a still photo did help um, keep the the viewer interested and give some livelihood to um, still photos. Um, It's really good. I really learned a lot. And then I like to watch Ken Burns for things they leave out. And, uh, you know, what did he leave out? And I think my thing that I found that he left out that I knew about was mine camp. He does talk about mine camp, but he does not talk about the fact that it was Trent, that no one read it, and nobody took it seriously. And it was going to be censored until someone said, well, let's not censor it. Let's trans translate it. And when we translate it, people finally read it. Even Germans didn't read it. And so this uh, lack of censoring it and having it be read by people showed the kind of mind that Hitler had and they could get woken up to it. But that was not part of the the what I watched uh, yesterday on these three episodes. Three, I think they're an hour and a half long. I'm very mad at Canada on this because there was a story of um, no one would take any Jewish refugees, nobody, nobody. And they did things like they restricted their income, their um, incoming refugees, they changed their immigrant laws in the United States to not take them. And um, this boat leaves, finally these people managed to, I think 900 people get on this boat called the St. Louis and uh, they sail across the ocean and they come into, they wanna go to, they get all these, um, Permits to sit in Cuba to wait out there because you can't go to the States, there's a waiting list. Okay, so they figure out that Cuba will let them come to Cuba, they'll hold them while they apply for US citizenship or entry. After sailing all this way in a you know, in not a good cargo situation on the boat, they get into Cuba and Cuba won't take them, they change their mind. And they had paid thousands of dollars for these permits. Cuba wouldn't take them. Then they sail around and they try to go to the states. the states won't take them. They end up going back to Europe. and no one wants to take them in Europe. and they do get eventually, a lot of people in the states tried to help them that were working privately and found them they got dispersed into five different countries, okay, France, Belgium, and there's still people alive in testimonials talking about this, but even Canada wouldn't take this boat. I'm so pissed. That's why I can't say Canada is such a great country. Cause I, I thought, why don't they go to Canada? Nope. They did try. Is that disgusting?
1: Well, I think you can go back through our history and you can hate Canada for many, many things throughout our history. Yeah. Um, you can do it with American history as well. You can hate the British for British history I think there's very few, very few countries on earth, unfortunately, um, who haven't done horrible things.
0: Yes, people, that's why I'm saying everybody comes out shitty looking in this thing. But it was a very good series, as ever, absolutely fantastic side stories, interviews, material I didn't know about. It was was very interesting to see the Latvian aspect, because I had worked on a, a Latvian documentary about 10 years ago. And so I had learned a lot by helping the filmmaker sort out his archives of photos. Uh, My job was to load them into a file and uh, label them and look at them, very difficult material, and then find out about the kind of massacre that happened in Latvia. Latvia had thought, "We'll, we'll, we'll work with the Germans because they had hated what Russia had done in the past they'd had bad history with Russia. So they thought, well, we'll go with the Germans because Russia's just got a terrible track record. And of course, that turned out terrible. That was a grave, grave error. Um, And uh, thousands, thousands, they got it down so they were killing with one bullet in pits. And they showed that. It was very interesting to see that in the Ken Burns story, having worked on that documentary a little bit. So there's my two heavy, sad topics I watched. You know who does the music on Dahmer? No, I don't. I think you could guess. Somebody's been pretty busy lately.
1: Uh, Is this a a Warren Ellis Nick Cave? It sure is.
0: Do you think this is all coming out about because of the murder ballads?
1: (laughs) Oh, no. I don't think it has anything to do with the murder ballads. Uh, And murder ballads for him are ancient ancient American or British. It's British, Australian. Australian... wherever the hell he's from it's their history yeah
0: but anyways isn't that interesting yeah well i know they're doing um a
1: lot of that kind of work they have such a curious collaboration
0: yeah
1: sheila came across um uh, i don't know if it was part of a film or an interview or something where uh nick cave was talking about how they were they were working for like 10 hours one day in the studio and they were trying to get something right, and it was 10 hours of Ugh. some kind of monotonous synthesizer riff. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Nick K made some kind of comment about if I hear that one more time,
0: <laughs> he, he didn't. So they, he they, like to
1: they, they have this ability to work together. But I think it's not always the happiest of collaborations. I think it's very challenging for them. Yeah. Uh, It's fascinating work. I think right now they're among the most interesting musicians who we have exposure to.
0: Well, uh, production companies agree with you, I think. And the sound and the music on Dahmer is incredible. Uh,
1: We saw, we gobbled up a, a, a series in the last few days Here on crime, I think it was season two of the capture. Sheila said to me, Hey hun, season two of the capture is on. It's available. And I said, The capture, what the heck is that? And she said, Well, we've seen it before. Well, what happens? Uh well, I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Neither (laughs) of us can remember it until she she starts looking at the information. She says, Oh, this is the one that has Ron Perlman in it. Right. Right? Because how can you forget Ron Perlman? He's just so distinctive. Yeah. And it was the, the season one. It was the show where this guy is captured doing a crime um, on CCTV and convicted based on the video footage, which was cleverly faked. Mm, wow. Season two takes it to the stratosphere. It's crazy. I mean, Really unlikely. But at the same time well what's what's unlikely maybe it's possible i don't know um this this is all about disinformation uh data um algorithms and how algorithms can an algorithm can be used to not just predict say a politician's success in the future but to mold it wow um and someone has developed this algorithm and they're using it on this politician who's the who's the um the minister of security and their ability is to transform video from real video to deep fake video in real time mm. so there's one scene in it where this guy is giving an interview live but what's coming out on the television is the deep fake interview happening simultaneously. Mm. Uh, And this guy's like, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. And he's saying things that are completely outrageous, but somehow or another, the algorithm is going to make him successful. So the algorithm discredits him, destroys his marriage, but in the end it's going to make him prime minister. Um, Fascinating great. show. Really, really well done. Starring Holiday Granger uh, as DCI <laughs> Rachel Carey. Um, right. Reoccurring guest star is Ron Perlman, who's fantastic. Um, and also in season two, uh, an actor named uh, Papa Esidu as Isaac Turner, the security minister, did a great job. Um and Leah Williams as a really nasty ass woman who never smiles. Wow. She, just, she just sneers at people and wields her power around. Uh, but it, it deals with real world issues of fake news and government surveillance right. that we're, we're dealing with now. But at the same time, it's not really, it's not a, a dour kind of uh, true crime sort of thing. Uh, it's not humorless. It's not self-righteous. It's uh, it's tremendous fun, wow. and and while they're dealing with this really serious issues, and they're having such a good time with this, uh, it's almost at odds with it. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's maybe I'm getting that because the the script is um, so highly we think of it as highly unlikely because it's taken what we know can happen to a much greater degree than we can imagine it.
0: Right, it sounds a little bit like Cambridge Al- Analytics. <coughs> the sure. of the algorithms, right?
1: Um, yeah, it's just taken it to um, kind of an nth degree uh, and created this crazy adventure. Um, and this COP is trying to expose everyone. And so to expose them, to expose this part of the government That is uh, the corrections branch, where they, you know, it's like it's like a touch of evil, where Orson Welles only plants evidence on people he knows are guilty. Yeah, right. These guys only cook up the video on people they know did it. They just can't prove it. Right. So it's really the same kind of plot line as a touch of evil. And yeah, and it's
0: it's sort of messing with your uh, sense of like how what's the right way to, to approach justice and well and what
1: is real i mean yeah on on our phone every day i'll get three or four calls that are phishing scams yeah it just happens so often scam attempt after scam attempt after scam attempt nobody seems to be able to stop it there doesn't seem to be any control no way of um of battling that kind of problem and you know some of them are so good it's hard to tell what's real and if someone's capacity might be a little bit diminished yep i don't know uh maybe uh starting to get forgetful as yep. you get older that kind of thing lonely and this yeah this this exactly there's lots of ways in which you can buy into a scam even though you're a very intelligent person
0: yeah yeah
1: um so anyway i'm going to recommend this one i think it's uh it's very, very well done. Plus it's a lot of fun. Uh, the, uh, the British critic Carol Midgley, um, said that this, this series season two has more twists than a cheap garden
0: hose. <laughs> That's great. I love which it.
1: is true. It has almost, doesn't not as many twists as Ozark, which is uh, the show that had the most plot twists per minute, Probably I think true. of anything yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but this one has plenty of it too. Uh, and, um, it's interesting watching the British shows because I don't really know most of the actors and right. there's always one or two that, Oh yeah, this person has been in prime suspect. This one's been in this yeah. show, this show. because I think there's a more limited pool there. So you see certain actors over and over and over again. And then a lot of other actors, I'm, I don't know who they are.
0: Right. right, Cause well, we're not as
1: exposed to them, I suppose, correct. as correct. to, as to Hollywood uh, yeah. actors.
0: Yeah. Or the New York actors we see yeah. on neat uh, new law new- and order.
1: Uh, but it, it asks the question really strongly, who can you trust? What's real? Wow. And the answer it gives you is no one better not trust anyone with too much. <laughs> yeah. So it has, even though there's fun involved, it does have a kind of pessimistic message or at least a a, a beware kind of message. Yeah. This is our world now. It's not yeah. so far off. Um, and it's well done. And, and it's an actioner. Uh, it's got lots of good, fun stuff going on in it.
0: Fun. I wish I could get it. I can't get it.
1: Oh, it doesn't come up on Prime. Oh, probably because we get the British stuff here. Yep, yep. Because the King of Canada, right? That's right. That's what we're dealing with here.
0: Yeah. So you're not watching that on BritBox. You're
1: watching it on Prime. I think we're just getting it on Prime, but maybe, maybe it's all together. But but check, see if it showed up on Prime for you. I did. It it didn't.
0: Oh, that's too bad. I could get it if I pay for it.
1: Ah. Yeah. It's worth it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) maybe we have a little patreon money that could pay for that
0: maybe (laughs) (laughs) to cancel netflix again
1: Ah, yeah well Well, it's hard to even keep track of all those streaming services and they all kind of overlap and and meanwhile i think next week is uh, or is it the end of this week is it thursday that succession starts
0: uh, you're right. You told me it was starting up again. Yeah.
1: It's starting up again. And I really looking forward to to that one. You know, often I'm the guy who says they, they didn't know when to quit, but I think succession needs one more season. <laughs> okay. I'm not ready for that one to quit yet. All
0: right. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know, on that note, again, I'd like to thank people for listening. We love you.
1: And Take you can a- email us yes. at agency.podcast at gmail.com.
0: That's right. And I've started ambitiously aggressively putting all kinds of unique content onto our patreon page and you can find us at patreon the agency is creating podcast
1: oh i guess i'm supposed to come up with content to put on i keep
0: hoping you will oh
1: man there's like
0: homework well i feel like i feel like like i'm hogging the whole thing and i know people want to know more about the inside but but i'm posting pictures i'm not posting on other social media I see. I'm There's just, so many social special.
1: media. It's hard to have exclusive content for every I, every platform. I
0: try. I try.
1: <laughs> and I don't even I don't even do the TikTok or
0: Right. Whatever well we're else. on TikTok. We're on TikTok. We're on
1: TikTok. Maybe, oh. Wow, yeah, maybe I'll go
0: do some some videos today for TikTok. Okay. All right. We'll be back Love at you. you
1: next week. See you. Same ya. bad time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.